Today we're looking at the helmet of salvation, and I want to read for us another passage that kind of mirrors this Ephesians passage in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul writes to them, uh, that group of Christians in Thessalonica, uh, about different issues, but, but then hits upon a similar imagery uh, in this verse <coughs> that we are speaking of today. So you'll see on the screen 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should come as a surprise to you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. And that is the word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. Well, if you'd bow with me, please, before I begin my sermon. Oh, God, speak to me that I may hear your word and speak through me that we all may hear your word afresh and anew applied to us for today, for our lives in the week to come. Lord, give to us a life through it and help us to trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this whole idea of a helmet is an essential part of armor, right? Yeah, there's been a lot of studies and a lot of talk about concussions with the NFL and filtering on down to kids' leagues of football. Is it worth playing the game of football to rack heads together at fast speeds, even if there is a helmet, if it's going to turn the brain into more gel-like material than brain matter? It's a serious question and, and an important concern for parents all the way up to to professional athletes that are getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars for their career. It just goes to highlight the essentialness of the head, right? Yes. Paul noticed as he was in his cell writing to the Romans about this Roman soldier having a helmet and thinking about how it guards that soldier during times of battle. And there are important parts of it. You see, even on the back of the neck, how it would flare out. Um, it would protect the neck in the back from blows of a sword as, Mike, if you could go back, 
uh, to blows of a sword during battle. The cheek, the, the eyes were protected by side face plates that looked like sideburns, but of a metal nature, of course. And then, of most essentially, it would, it would protect the skull, the brain, from being hit or rattled in such a way that it would knock off guard the soldier that was trying to accomplish the task of winning in the battle. And in thinking of the helmet and the essential nature of that, we know that, that the, the human brain is an important part of our body. Just for us to be able to function day to day and survive, we have to have our brain controlling all of our systems, right? Right. Everything can be working fine in your body, but if your brain does not, the rest ain't going to work. Not for long, anyway. And so, we know of the essential nature of the brain. A few quick facts I found about the human brain today and, and the value of it. Um, the human brain generates up to 50,000 thoughts per day. 50,000 thoughts. That's a lot, isn't it? Uh, circulates about 1,000 milliliters of blood. That's about, about the amount in a wine bottle I read. Uh, through the brain each minute of the day through all of the vessels of blood that are there. Uh, a brain tissue the size of a, a grain of sand has 100,000 neurons and a billion synapses operating all together in concert to help the human body do everything that it needs. The brain controls all of the sensory perceptions of the five senses that we know of, right? Which are sight, sound, taste, smell, and touch. All of that, it makes a generous computer for us, our bodies, and everything that we see and hear, and the situational awareness that we need in life to be able to know how to react, what to do, and how to handle things that come along. Uh, I did find, and this is just a random, call it gravy, uh, that, that uh, the average human brain weighs three pounds. Albert Einstein's, who was a genius, was only 2.71 pounds, and yet he was a lot smarter, well, I think it's safe to say, than any of us. The human brain is essential to the function of our bodies, and especially in times of battle when a soldier is trying to stand firm and to make split-second decisions about their protection, and Paul says the head must be protected in order for that to happen. It's essential. It's valuable. But then he relates that to the issue of faith as we're getting out with this whole sermon series. And he says that, that a battle helmet for a soldier's brain and head is like, like salvation for us. The essential nature of our salvation in our faith must be protected and must be maintained if we're going to be alive and remain valuable and Paul says it's worth protecting. Uh, he talks about it in a few ways that I just want to mention briefly this morning. I'm aware of the time. And the first of those is that, that, that our salvation um, is very valuable, essential, as I said, as the brain is to the human body and to the soldier in battle. Salvation is essential for us, people of faith. Um, I have to say that standing firm in our faith makes us dig deep and reflect upon the gift of salvation that God gives to us all. Now, that word salvation, I think, has been short-shrifted and, and, and sold as a, 
a short item in our Christian faith in America in this day and age. And it takes away from the value of the, the power of the concept. We've been studying about, about covenant and about salvation and, and the nature of God saving us from something that we need. In the Old Testament study called Epic of Eden, it's been quite eye-opening and reminding of the power and the desire of God to save humanity from our faults and our fall. In fact, the entire Bible, if you think about it, is a story of salvation. It's an epic love story of man and woman falling out of the garden, out of the grace of God, and, and God trying to win us back, to bring us back to the point where we honor and love God as God loves us. And yet salvation, oftentimes, I think we chuck up to a, a religious experience, a, a one night at the altar, which is important, but so often the word salvation is equated with a, a new birth experience, which is, is uh, valuable and essential in faith, and yet just a, a, a small sliver. Salvation is a much larger term in the Bible that has to do with the entire Bible and the whole movement of it and all that God has done and is doing and will do. It is the redemptive nature of God that we need to get at and remember that he desires and wants to redeem us. Despite our faults and our flaws, he loves us enough that he wants to, to clean us up and to save us for a greater purpose and a greater future. You know, biblically, if you look at the scriptures and study it at length, the Bible really talks about salvation in that, in that broad spectrum of past, present, and future. And in the past tense, of course, it talks about and it celebrates how it is that God has saved people and us through past events. You think of the Exodus, about the Israelites being in slavery in Egypt and God sending Moses and, and the miracles and the dividing of the sea to carry them out to a place of freedom. That is a past Thing that we remember, and we recognize God's redemptive nature in. We remember the cross, don't we, as people of faith, of the Christian faith, of, of Jesus carrying that cross out up to a hill called Golgotha, outside of Jerusalem, and there spreading out arms of love to the world to, to, to sacrificially die upon the cross for the sins of the world, to clean us up to give us a new start once again. God has, has in the past saved us and given us the tools for that. I have a colleague that, that shared with me a story about one time when he was asked, uh, when were you saved? Tell me about when you were saved. And the person, of course, was wanting to know a moment, a religious experience that he had, a, a reckoning with God, a, a turning back towards God. But he he thought, and he said to the person, well, I think I, think I was saved about 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem uh, on a hill, and, and, and Jesus, the Son of God there, hung up on a cross. That, that's where I was saved. It's true. God has given to us power for, for reconciling all that is wrong with us and in the world. In the present tense, salvation is given to us in a way of, of growing in our faith and coming closer to God, of perfecting our faith, of growing 
in grace, as, as John Wesley said, moving on to perfection. A couple of scriptures uh, regarding that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross might be foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God, growing in our understanding and in our trust of God in faith. Is, is salvation among us right here and right now and every day that we live? A future tense, though, and, and I think that's what Paul is getting at in in this Thessalonians passage about salvation, the, the future sense of God saving us from the wrath that is to come. It is the end of times, the, the end of the world as we know it, the conclusion of, of human history, if you will. Jesus talked about it. He said, and Paul mirrored this, you don't need to worry about the time or the place. All you need to worry about is that that. God wants to save you from it and to stay faithful and true to him. Now, I want us to hear today, and I want us to think not just about salvation as a past or even a, a recent thing, but a future thing, and that's my second point, is that our focus needs to be upon heaven, upon the place to where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. That place there we're focused on, where we talk about. There's a lot of good jokes out there about heaven and about hell, and sometimes I think we get swept up in the humor of those, and we forget the, the value, the importance of those places and those destinations that are laid out before us. I have been fond before of saying uh, this quote, that we shouldn't be so heavenly bound that we're, so, that we're no earthly good. You've heard that before, right? You've heard me say it, I know, in a sermon. Don't be so heavenly bound that you're no earthly good. And that's important to be said. However, let us not be so unfocused on heaven that we lose our way, that we do not keep in the direction and going towards the place that we call home. It's important for us to remember that God has done great things to save us of our sins, but has done great things to, to save us from future wrath that is to come. What is it that, that he has given to us? It is the opportunity to go and be with him in fellowship for all of eternity, to go and be with our loved ones who are there, and to find our place in, in the presence of God for all of eternity when this life comes to an end. Mary Lautenslager, uh, a preacher, writes the story about a man named Ben Alston who, after retirement, took on as a hobby one of the loves of his life, which was, was colonial history, American history. And so there was nearby an American history museum, and so he started getting involved there, started volunteering, helping out, and decided that because they needed someone, he would step up and start dressing up as historical colonial figures to give tours of the museum or speak to classes. Well, it happened that one day, she writes, that he was dressed up as Ben Franklin and had gone to a second grade class at a nearby school because uh, they were studying about the, the history of America and particularly about 
electricity and great inventors. And so Ben Alston goes dressed up in an outfit, period piece, as Ben Franklin, and he's trying to talk to the students about who Ben Franklin was and the great things that he had done, and he did it in first person, of course. He talked as if he was Ben Franklin that had, had come back from the past, from the dead. And one little girl caught on to that. She said, wait a minute, if you're Ben Franklin, then you either have to be very, very, very old and have never died, or you've died and you've come back from heaven to be here today. Well, the man did not know how to handle it, and he said, you're exactly right, young lady. I have come back just today from heaven just to talk to your class and to tell you about the great things I have done. And the little girl who was, was all too eager to speak up, she said, well, if you came from heaven today, then, then you must have just seen my mommy up there before you left. And Mary writes that, that Ben was, was at an even greater loss for words of how to address the fact that this little girl's mother was gone from her life, second grader. And he had the wherewithal and the, the faith, the Holy Spirit guiding him enough to say, yes, I, I saw your mother today. And you know, I think she's probably as beautiful as any of the angels up there in heaven. And I'm sure that she wants you to know today that she loves you very, very much. He was given a word of hope, wasn't he, to a little girl who, who had lost something that was so valuable to her that, that seemed so separated from her and that she needed to be reminded that, that there is hope because it, it is not just death as the end of life as we know it. There's a place that we go, a, a destination, a, a desire that God has to, to save us by sending us there through, through the gift and the grace of his son Jesus Christ. Last thing that I'll mention today is that, that ultimately that's where our hope needs to lie in Jesus, in the one who came, in the one that was sent, in the one we believe was crucified upon the cross to, to save us of our past and to give to us reconciliation with God, but to prepare for us a great place for the future, that great place being of heaven. I don't know about you, but... I got my ticket punched this last week. How many of you came to one of our renewal services, at least one? Yeah, we had a great crowd Sunday night and a pretty good crowd Monday and Tuesday as well. And again, I want to thank our groups that did meals for those nights because it made it extra easier for people to get here to be with that. But the whole point of those three nights of renewal services was to renew our faith. And we invited Dr. Mary Miller to come from Winston-Salem to preach for us those three nights to renew our faith and our trust in God. And she was, well, very bold in preaching to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was invigorating. It was uplifting. It was, was encouraging in faith. It was challenging for me. And on the last night when... When she pulled out the oil and we did the age-old Old Testament and New Testament act of, of anointing, asking God's power to be with us, um, 
I asked for her and Doug, who another minister that was helping with that, when they asked what I wanted God's power, God's Holy Spirit to help me with in my life, was that I would be more, more bold in preaching the gospel and sharing my faith with others out in the community. A lot of you came forward. Most that night came forward as well. Sunday night she preached from Romans 10.9, which is, is the scripture about confessing with our lips and believing in our hearts that Jesus raised from the grave. And if we will do that, she says, we have the gift of, of salvation. We will be saved of our sins. And, and I, I got my ticket punched because I, I came forward and was reminded and renewed my faith in Christ for that. The second night, she preached from Romans 1.16, in which Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone, everyone who has faith. We remember in his redemptive nature that God came to save not just you, not just me, not just the, the chosen, but everyone in the world. John 3.16, that old Bible passage says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Everyone in the world needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and she challenged us to do that. The last night, Tuesday night, she preached from Romans 8, verses 1 and 6, where, where she talked about there being no condemnation in Christ and not, not walking according to, to the flesh, to the things of the world that we just so desire as humans, but to walk in the Spirit of God. And that's when she called us forward. And that's when we asked people, what is it that we can pray for to give God's power to you for your life, to overcome things, to, to be more fulfilled, to, to go and minister to the world and share this message. It was an incredible three nights. And God's Spirit was moving among us and stirring us and renewing us, my hope and my prayer. And it is all about Jesus, of course. We sang a song last night at the Greensboro Coliseum. As Sherry told you, with, with over 10,000 other Christians, youth and parents, a lot of youth especially, it was loud. I wore earplugs and it was still loud. That's how old I'm feeling today. And yet, how invigorating and how exciting and how, how uplifting to see young folks praising God and cheering, singing their hearts out because they love Jesus and they want him to be the very center of their lives. All of our hope is in Jesus was the final song that David Crowder led us and the whole, whole crowd in singing, which is an old gospel song so beautifully played on piano and so beautifully sung by, by tens and thousands of voices. All my hope is in Jesus. I'll not sing it and spoil the song for you today. But I, I will simply say that last night I was sitting there soaking that in, singing it, and thinking to myself, one day, one day this is how it's going to be, where we're going to gather together around the throne of God and Jesus right there in our presence with, with those who have gone before us in faith that we miss and that we love and that we desire to be with and know. 
to, to be out of this world, which is often, often trying, isn't it? Sad, heartbreaking, difficult, heavy for us to walk through. And yet we, we know that our hope is in Jesus. To hold his hand, to walk with him as the choir was singing, walk with us through the valleys, uh, through all things in life, and who extends his hand and welcomes us into the next. All of our hope is in Jesus because he is the source of our salvation, our, our past as the people of God, as, as our future for what glorious thing he has done through the empty tomb and for the here and now, for all that we need for today. Jesus is enough, and he is our hope above all things.